Hey y'all, welcome back to But Not All at Once, the podcast for people who believe it should be at least a misdemeanor not to let someone know they have food in their teeth, particularly in a business setting. Guys, it's just good manners. I'm your host, Ann Smith. And today we're going to hear from Brittany Bolt, a friend who has made a decision not many people understand. When she was married with two small children, she embarked on what she calls an adventure to carry twins for a couple she had never met before. And yet she still cringes when folks call her big-hearted, magnanimous, selfless. None of that rings true to her, and the journey that she walked will stun you. Even listening to this conversation that I saw play out in real life and heard around my dining room table, I saw still couldn't turn it off. I had so many questions and so did you. We took it to our but not all at once Instagram community and had so many questions that this episode is going to be a two-parter. Today you're going to learn about the why, the how, the who, and the beginning of their pregnancy all the way through finding out the genders of the baby she was carrying for virtual strangers. Next week we'll learn more about the second half of the pregnancy including development she and her husband never could have seen coming when they met as kids in college. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did. Everybody, welcome back to But Not All at Once. I'm here with Brittany Bolt, and I'm super excited. And evidently, I'm not the only one, because based on the number of Instagram questions we had, there not only is a tremendous curiosity about surrogacy, but there are a million specific, surprisingly specific questions for Brittany. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us about what her family looks like today. And then we're going to walk through how she got to surrogacy in the first place. So my name is Brittany Bolt. I live here in Greenville with my husband, Matt, and we have three kids. I have a seven-year-old daughter, Mary Tyler, a five-year-old son named Davis, and a six-month-old baby named Baylor. And those babies are copy and paste faces, which makes this story so much more fascinating because if you showed me a lineup of the five children you have birthed, I would absolutely be able to say, nope, this one's not yours. (laughs) That one's not not yours. It's very clear. Now, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but the first memory I have of you is I was reading your blog because we were pregnant at the same time with our girls, Mary Brooks and Mary Mm -hmm. Tyler, and you ended up having Mary Tyler the day that I was going home with Mary Brooks. Yeah, I remember. That was the busiest Valentine's Day that GHS had ever seen. They were basically birthing babies in broom closets. 100%. I hope you I hope you didn't land in a broom closet. We did, actually. 100% we did because oh, we no. were the room we were in, we were like, how is any postpartum rooms this small? Like, it didn't make sense because people were coming to visit and no one could even stand. And my friend who's a nurse at GHS walked in and she goes, oh my God, they, <laughs> this is the room they just converted. It was a supply closet. And they converted it. It's literally the only overflow room. And we're like, oh, so yeah. So that was a joke, but it's actually true. We were literally in a closet with her. Mary Tyler, what a welcome to the world. Well, for one beautiful night while you were about to enjoy a broom closet, we got what I like to call the Beyonce and Jay-Z suite. Yes, we got that for Davis. It's the most glorious, magical. Complete 180 from the broom closet. And we had it again with the twins, actually. Well, you deserved it for the twins, (laughs) but we'll get to that in a minute. So you and your husband, Matt, 
Matt met at Clemson. I've heard you say before that you knew early on that surrogacy was something you were interested in. Yeah, so I can't remember for the life of me what I watched in seventh grade, but something in seventh grade, be it a movie, a documentary, I don't remember what it was, but it was the first time I saw something with a surrogate in it. It was a gestational surrogate, meaning the baby was not related to her. And I didn't know that was possible. I knew about traditional surrogacy. Um, But when I found out that was possible in middle school, so I'm what, like 12? I just remember thinking, I want to do that one day. That would be so cool to be able to help someone who couldn't have kids. And then I was just, I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I was fascinated with pregnancy. I couldn't wait to do it. And I was like, after I have my own kids, I'm going to do that one day. So it was something from an early age that I felt like I wanted to do. That's unbelievably early. I mean, I thought you knew in college and that was Well, obviously I did not know what a pregnancy would be like. (laughs) I did not know what I was signing up for in seventh grade, but both of my pregnancies with Mary Tyler and Davis were easy enough that I still wanted to do it. That's incredible. And I have to say that when I was 12 years old, my version of selfless was probably my mom picking something out for me at the mall, bringing it home and me not rolling my eyes at her. Like, good job, <laughs> well, Anne. No, you were a total was, That was definitely me too. I don't know why. I just thought that was cool. I did it then and I still now don't see it as selfless. I know that sounds crazy because everyone else... Because you've done it and it basically is... Basically bows to me and it makes me very uncomfortable <laughs> because I don't see it that way. I I see it as an adventure I always wanted to do. And it sounds like a calling. You've got this tug on your heart at 12 years old. Think this is really cool. Yes. This is, I mean, my goodness, there's obviously a need for it. People are needing or Mm -hmm. really wanting this experience. Well, but even then in middle school, that wasn't a common practice thing. Like, right. I think on our second or third date, if you even call college dating a date, I mean, we were probably at Monterey's, but I remember remember telling Matt, I want to be a surrogate one day. And he was just like, Oh, cool. Like, one, I don't even think he really knew what that meant. And two, he's like... Yeah, let's talk about babies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, that's fine. Let's drink our margaritas and go hang out. Like, it obviously did not register right. to him what I was saying. But officially, you had entered it into the history books of your relationship. So you can yes. at least say, yes. you know. In my mind, so when I did come to him eventually and say I wanted to do it, I said, I told you this, like, on our third date. And he's like, yeah, when we weren't even thinking about marriage yet. And I was just like, oh, sure. Not a big deal. He wasn't... Yeah, I don't he never know- thought about that again. I wouldn't call that like informed legal consent. Yeah, no. And he definitely never thought of it again. Well, so, okay, skip forward. You get married after college. Have Mary Tyler. Two years later, you have a little boy. Mm -hmm. After Davis, did you think we're done with our biological family and now I want to shift into fulfilling this adventure, this dream, this calling? Yes, but what actually happened is one of my very best friends had been trying to get pregnant since we started trying to get pregnant with Mary Tyler. And at that point, I was already pregnant with Davis. She was still trying. Then I had Davis. She was still trying. And I remember her coming to tell me that her third or fourth IUI had failed. And Mm. I cried probably harder than she cried. Like it was very, I still get choked up about it. But when I got home that day, I said, babe, you know, I'm going to have a baby for them. And he was like, wait, what? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have her baby. I'm going to be a surrogate for her because I can't, it's too much for me. I've always wanted to do it. I'm so sad watching her go through this. I'm, I'm going to do it. And I would say that to her too. And she would just be like, oh, like laugh. And I think we both 
at the end of the day, hoped that she would get pregnant. And that's right. what happened. Okay. So thank goodness, luckily, she got pregnant. And, and that this is a super close friend of yours. Yes. Yes. Very best friend. And the desire stayed on my heart, though. So even though she was pregnant, by then, I had already had it ramped it up in my mind. Like, I'm going to do it for her. And then she didn't need it. And I still really wanted to do it. So that's when I said, thank God she got pregnant on her own. And I'm really happy for her, obviously. But I still want to do it. And Matt was like, um... No, people die in childbirth all the time. And I can understand when you wanted to do it for your very best friend, but you're not going to risk that for a stranger when you're a mother to our two kids. I'm not going to be a single dad. I don't want you to do it. And all very legitimate points from a man who loves you. Yes, but I felt that that was very unfair because I'm saying I told you about this on like our second or third date. I've always wanted to do it just because it didn't work out for her. I still feel like it's like my destiny or I still feel like that's something I'm supposed to do. And he said, okay, let me research it on my own. Let me come to terms by myself without you pushing, 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 and I'll come back. I'll circle back up with you. So about two weeks later, I tried very hard not to bring it up on my own because he is very much one that it needs to be his idea. And he came back finally and said, okay, I've looked into it. I realize there's different ways to go about it. You can match with a friend and go about it that way. You can go through an agency and you know that you have the legalities handled. You can just find an attorney and say, this is what I want to do. Do you have someone you know? There's different ways to go about it. But he said he was only comfortable with me going through an agency because he knew that any legalities would be covered because the specific agency we went with has attorneys in-house, which is controversial in the surrogacy world. But we went with them. We couldn't have been happier with them. It ended up being a great fit for us but that was really his bottom line is you can do it but we're going to do it the right way we're not going to get sued we're not gonna, you know there's lots of things going in that you don't know how it's going to end up so then I had to look into that and say well if I go with an agency does that mean I don't know the person from Adam does that mean I meet them are they going to stay involved in our life what if they never want to see us again and those are a million other right. questions and it's a lot of possibilities yes So you come to terms with your husband on, okay, we'll do it. And this is how we'll take the agency route. You find an agency who has the control over what those next steps are in terms of, okay, I want to carry a baby, but only if, for instance, I can know I'm going to see that baby again. So we went with an agency called Creative Family Connections. I will plug them shamelessly because they're great. So if anyone out there is looking for an agency for surrogacy, Creative Family Connections is bomb.com. But the way it works with them is you fill out just a basic surrogacy application form. You tell them, it's basically, I want to be a surrogate. Here's my background information. This is how many pregnancies I've had. This is the complications I've had, if any. All of those things. Then someone contacts you if all of that checked out Mm -hmm. and says, you could be a candidate. Now we're going to have you answer a very detailed questionnaire as far as how do you feel about carrying twins? How do you feel about, you know, early abortion? How do all very serious topics, but then also topics like what do you like to do in your free time? And, you know, just things, things of that nature. So it very much turns into a match.com like dating situation where we had to answer those questions, but so do the IPs, which stands for intended parents. They answer all of those too. So then it becomes the agency's job to match those up and say, oh, a lot of these answers lined up with these answers and we think you guys might be a good fit for each other. So at that point, they give the intended parents basically a portfolio of me that has a picture and all my answers to my questions and details 
And if the parents decide, yeah, we think we want to pursue her, I just did air quotes. Um, if we want to pursue her, then they write me a letter. So they wrote me a letter telling, introducing themselves and telling why they basically wanted to choose me. The intended father uses very big words that are very hard for me to understand. He's eloquent in yes. doing so. But I was like reading the letter like, what? Like he's I, a, some kind of professor I, from the 1900s. Yes. I felt like he was an English professor. I handed it to Matt and was like, I think that he means very nice things about me, but I don't even... Please translate. Right. We still were very happy with the letter, though. So at that point, they have what is called a Skype date. So and this is your first match? Yes. Okay. So the surrogate coordinator called me and said, they've sent you this letter. How do you feel? Do you feel like you would like to meet them? We said, yes, that sounds great. The Skype date includes them sitting on a couch very nervously. Matt and I just kind of like, oh, let's meet these people. <laughs> and also a third party, which is someone from the agency that kind of facilitates the questions between the two of you. You just meet and say, hey, I'm Brittany and this is Matt. And what this do you want to know? <laughs> like, This is my uterus. Have you seen <laughs> the ultrasounds? It's a real good one. Yes, basically. So, But after that conversation, it felt very natural. It felt like these are people that we would hang out with on a Friday night and go have dinner and beers and we just felt very comfortable with them so when we hung up the coordinator said you know I'm going to speak with them and see how they felt about you how'd you feel about them we said we loved them if they want to proceed that's great and we got a call within like an hour that they wanted to proceed with us so at that point I knew we were going to get to know them better and it didn't necessarily feel like I was doing this for a stranger it felt like this is going to be a process before we even get to the IVF and we're going to get to know them a lot better so it didn't feel like it was just there's a lot of surrogates in the community that that I know personally that carried for a man in Israel or a Chinese couple that they never even meet and they don't even speak the same language and they just it's something they want to do so they fulfill it and they maybe meet at the hospital but they don't even they can't even communicate and going in one of the ways I answered the question what does your relationship look like post babies it wasn't that I absolutely required contact because that wasn't it at all but I would like to still see pictures. I would like to keep up with them. I would like to have some sort of relationship. I wouldn't be hurt or devastated if I didn't, but she answered the question in the same way that she would like to keep in touch with her surrogate. So that's one of the main reasons they matched us. I think in this day and age where, I mean, we're all Facebook friends with that one girl from summer camp from like after third grade, and then she moved away to a different city, and now, you know, she lives in California. It would be odd to have that knowledge about some girl you haven't seen in person in 25 years. Yes. And then to have this human with whom you've shared like just the most intense experience. Mm -hmm. So I can see where emotionally, if this has been a dream of yours for a long time, that would be a pretty big component. Absolutely. So once they said, okay, we're in, you're in, it's happening. At this point, how many people know? Ooh, so obviously we told our families we were pursuing it. And I can say without hesitation that the only person that was accepting of this was my mother-in-law. My mom was not happy. My dad and my stepmom were terrified. My grandmother beside herself. I mean, no one understood. Why would you want to do this? Why would you risk something so big? They were just not on board. And, and did you understand that? I mean, yeah. As especially because you have your own daughter at this point. Mm-hmm. I can see <laughs> Bradley and I talked about it. If I put Mary Brooks's face on my timeline mm-hmm. and saw what I put my body through in uh, yes. five or six six year period, I would be like 100% angel face, pump the brakes. Yes. 
I'm worried about you and I'm scared and you're so important to me. Yes. Did you hear that and what they were saying? I heard or were it. you just rolling your eyes? I heard it. I understood, but I also felt misunderstood for why I wanted to do it because I felt like I couldn't adequately explain myself because there's nothing I can say besides it's just something I've always wanted to do and I want to do it and I feel called to do it. That's not good enough for a mother. <laughs> like my mom was like, I don't care how much you want to do it. Do you realize it's dangerous and you could leave your kid's motherless? And I'm I mean, sure that got thrown around a lot. I mean, a that's lot. the worst case scenario (laughs) no one would wish that on anyone obviously but I know people probably wanted you to see the gravity as though you had not in fact delivered as though I hadn't thought about it yeah I I did understand why they felt that way but my saving grace in that was that I found a YouTube video and it was YouTube where all good things are it was a whole family taking a picture in front of waterfall and when I say whole family I mean both sets of grandparents brothers and sisters cousins whatever and it would be like if this were Matt and I that needed the surrogate it would be our whole family surrounded us taking a picture and this pregnant woman walks by and they grab her and are like come get in the picture and they take the picture and everybody in the family is looking like who is that why they just ask her to get in the picture and the girl says this is our surrogate and she's pregnant with our baby (laughs) well now i'm gonna cry we haven't even watched this video i know So the whole family bursts into tears. Everyone is ecstatic. Like they're all like just hugging this woman they don't even know. And my mom is not a softie. She does not cry about anything. And she watched that video and she said, okay, I get it. These people can't have a baby without someone like her. And so that's very nice of you, nice of you to do. And she's like, I get it now. That video really helped me see, but um, she still was not thrilled at all. Yeah. Well, that's her job. Yes, she was not thrilled. But... It got other people in the family on board? Yes. The video was... Thank you, video out there who I don't know who... Waterfall family. That video really helped at least them kind of see the light. And then once the ball was rolling and they couldn't do anything to stop it, it was kind of like... A moot point. I got to get on board because it's happening. Well, that's what matters in the long run. So can you tell me from your experience or understanding of the surrogacy community, what brings most people to the point of becoming intended parents? What makes them... What brings most people to that is their own infertility. They've been through multiple IUIs. They've been through multiple IVFs. Surrogacy is expensive. Surrogacy is more expensive than IVF unless you can find an altruistic surrogate, which is very hard to come by. And that's someone that's going to do it completely free of charge. But even if you find that, you're paying for their IVF. You're paying for all their medical bills. You're paying for their housekeeper and their babysitter if you get on bed rest. I mean, there's no way around. So... A ballpark figure for someone hoping to do surrogacy would be... I would say 50 to 100 grand. I hope those babies are nice to their mama. You're talking about the intended parents, how much they would have to pay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'd say 50 to 100 grand easily. These are people who very likely already spent tens of thousands of dollars. Easily. Trying. Because most just surrogate compensation is around 30,000. So that's just for the surrogate. I believe that the presumption many people are going to have is, A, I'm a surrogate because my best friend can't have a baby and I love her more than life. Or B, I'm a surrogate because I've got a good oven and I'm in it to, you know, take a six-week trip to Mykonos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's people like that out there. Yes. So when you went through your agency, is mm-hmm. that how that is structured there? Yes. There's compensation for sure with my agency. And it makes me laugh. I know in your podcast you talk about things you can't believe people actually said out loud to you, but... um 
Do you need the money, Brittany? <laughs> uh, actually, someone I know very well said, I didn't realize y'all needed money that bad. Um, did, did Matt in particular super enjoy the thought of oh, renting yeah. out his wife's insides? Oh, yeah. So what I say to the compensation factor is it honestly is just a kind gesture at that point because there is no amount of money that you could pay me to go through what I went through. The money honestly just helps me get a babysitter because I'm tired or helps me... Order macaroni grill for my whole family for dinner because or I can't chiropractic cook. or a massage. One hundred percent yoga. Acu- I went to acupuncture for the first twelve weeks with how sick I was, and that's what that money. Go- it's not like oh, I'm going to get paid X amount of dollars, and I'm just going to yeah go to Mykonos. It, it, that's it's, not- a, it's a get rich quick scheme that lasts about forty right. weeks, and there, you can tell there are people in it for that that come on whether they've had no babies and they're just like I'll have a baby for someone and get paid, or they've had one baby and they're like twenty one years old and they're like, I'm going to do this instead of getting a job. That's a terrible idea. They're in for a very rude way. So it is a possibility to have a baby as a surrogate, not having given birth to your own child before? No, it's not. People think they can, but no. There's not a reproductive endocrinologist in America that would agree to let someone who has had no baby, because one, they don't know what your body's going to do. They don't know what your uterus is going to do if you can have a healthy term pregnancy. And two, they don't know if you've never had a baby before, they don't know that you're not going to be like, but it's mine. It's attached to me. I want to keep it. Like they don't know how you're going to react. So you can't, you can't. That makes total sense. And I would never put my faith in the feelings Mm -hmm. of a person I've never met before who Mm -hmm. hadn't walked that path. So I'm assuming compensation, everything comes through the agency, medical bills. Yes. Does it, doesn't even go through your insurance? It goes. That's a good question. So since surrogacy was covered under my insurance, therefore my in, my eyepiece did not have to take out a separate insurance plan for me because mine was covered. That was a huge plus on my resume. Awesome. Yeah, there's other plenty of surrogates who it's not covered on theirs and they their IPs have to take out. Some things, sometimes I would get sent a random bill for like a random extra ultrasound I had or a blood test or something. And if that were the case, I would just turn it in and then they handle that with the IPs and it gets paid that way. I feel like we got off topic though. <laughs> I'm <laughs> we, confident we did. That's my best trait. <laughs> we got ahead of ourselves. The next step after we matched basically yes. was that I had to go to, Matt and I both had to pass a psychiatric evaluation. I wondered about if that all of those questions when you're talking about what you like to do in your free time, yes. because it seems that, you know, my, my main question is, are you mentally sound? <laughs> are you going to make good decisions while you're carrying my child? And on the happiest day of my life, yes. when you hand me those babies, oh, are you going to let go? And to back up. Before we even had the Skype date, um, just for me to get cleared, period, to match with someone, we had a home visit where someone from the agency comes out and makes sure you don't live in the slums and right. live in filth and cockroach infestation or whatever. Right. They, they make You're not sure. using drugs. Yes. And- they make sure all of that. They come to your house and check. And the psych- psyche valve, it was just interesting. It was like making sure that Matt was on board and supportive of me. That's mostly what her, his was on. And mine was like making sure I wasn't going to go crazy. There must have been 500 questions and it'd be like do you get angry when you see flowers i was like what is there a, what is the right and wrong i felt like everything was a trick question because i it was crazy Those but i passed it nervous. i passed it don't worry i'm not crazy <laughs> so after the psyche vow i passed it thank you um then you have a medical evaluation in which i had to travel to their fertility clinic and they had to basically 
do an HSG, which is a type of uterine scan test. You can look that up because I'm not a doctor to explain it thoroughly enough. I've seen it on many an invoice though. Yeah. So they did that and they do what's called a mock transfer, which they act like they're doing the IVF, but they just put a saline solution in to make sure it has no problem traveling into your uterus. And basically they test all that to make sure everything looks good. And they do blood work on both you and your husband to ensure you don't have STDs or AIDS or... Things that could create a problem. Right. And then we passed that. And then once you've passed both of those, then you're kind of cleared to start the actual IVF process. You asked me what leads people to surrogacy. It is 99% of the time infertility. In her case, she has a congenital heart defect, which will not allow her to carry to term safely. So she never experienced actual in- reproductive infertility. She just knew that she couldn't get pregnant because of her heart defect. So that's what brought them to surrogacy. And they started to walk through the IVF in terms of egg retrieval. She had had an egg retrieval two years before she even matched with me. So they were in the system for about a year before they found a match in me. So her embryos were already frozen. I think she had six So she had what she needed on her end. She was looking for the gestational carrier. That's right. How long did you have from the moment you and Matt said, okay, we're going to go with this agency Mm -hmm. until it was go time in terms of moving ahead with IVF with you? We went with the agency July 1st. We, I remember July 4th is when I told my mother-in-law who was supportive from day one. Thank you. We got the letter from them saying they wanted us on my birthday, July 31st, your birthday, July 31st. That's right. That's when we got the letter. And then our first transfer was at the end of November. So the first transfer was how many embryos? That It was two. And that's a story in itself because originally on my questionnaire, I said that I would do a single embryo transfer unless there were extenuating circumstances, I would consider a dual embryo transfer, which is two. My IPs, when we matched, said, we do not want twins. We do not want to do two two embryos. The medical risk outweigh the benefit, and we're nervous, so we wouldn't do that. About a week before the transfer, when I was in the height of shots and knowing the, knowing the transfer is a week away, their doctor called me and said, due to her age, which was 40, And due to her quality of embryos, we really think it's a better idea to transfer two embryos. It's about a 30% chance that they're both going to stick. It's highly unlikely. We really think with the quality that only one will stick, but we need to make sure you're okay with that. So I went to Matt. He's like all about numbers. And he's like, oh, I mean, it's probably not going to happen. So whatever you think. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So we did it. We were successful that transfer in both betas, which is a blood draw that they test your HCG to see if you're pregnant were very high and the second one more than doubled, which is what you're looking for in a 48 hour time period. And the nurse called me and said, we have reason to think it would be twins because of these numbers. So just be prepared. So we were all very excited. I think it was three more weeks after that before the first ultrasound. And we went for the first ultrasound. I'm very lucky that one of my best friends is a doctor of internal medicine. And so I was already calling her constantly about everything. (laughs) I still call her constantly about everything, no matter what. But she went with me to that first ultrasound appointment. We FaceTimed the parents. The doctor came in and they did the ultrasound. And there was one baby, but it had quit growing and there was no heartbeat. So that was very weird for me 
because I didn't know how to feel because it wasn't my baby, but I was carrying that baby and I was watching the parents on FaceTime just devastated and Mm. prepared for twins and then to find out yet, well, actually it was one and the one had stopped growing and had no heartbeat. And that was very... And it's sad even when you hear it about a stranger, Mm -hmm. but in your body and then now you care about Mm -hmm. these people and you're invested in them. And it was really hard to feel like... You know, she's never been through a pregnancy before. What if she thinks I did something wrong? What if she thinks I could have done something differently or better to prevent it? She's the nicest person in the world, and she did not ever make me feel that way. She was quite the opposite of, we know it's not your fault. This is what's meant to be. They actually end up having the contents of the DNC tested. I had a DNC the day before Christmas Eve and found out that that baby had trisomy 13, which usually doesn't even make it past the first trimester. And if so, we would have miscarried second trimester which would have been very devastating and a much worse, harder for them thing to go through. So she found the positive in that. She found the silver lining in that. She decided to have another egg retrieval in which when they made the new embryos, they would test them for any anomalies or abnormalities so that before they even transferred them to me, they knew that they were transferring something that didn't have a trisomy, didn't have any chromosomal abnormality. Was it always on the table after you found out there was no heartbeat and you had the DNC that you would jump right back in? Yes. Um, I think my contract called for at least seven transfers. Now, (laughs) holy wow, Brittany, seven. Um, Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't seven. Maybe it was five. I've been pregnant a lot of times, my friend, and seven transfers. I think it was seven. Maybe it was five, or maybe it was at least two years worth. Whatever it was, I had committed to that had it not worked. Now, that's not to say we would have gone through that at any time. They could have said, we don't want to go through this anymore. We don't want to put you through this anymore. We're just going to stop. We're out of embryos. Any of the above could have happened, but I was committed to at least that many if they wanted to proceed. She really wanted to have the embryos tested so they wouldn't go through that kind of heartbreak again. So she had um, another egg retrieval done. Our next transfer was in March, and she ended up, after the testing and the retrieval and all of that, she ended up with four good embryos. The doctor again said, like like we said last time, only one ended up sticking. So that's the likelihood. We're going to do two again. With the, Even with them being tested, it's still a 25 to 30% chance. So it's her doctor making these calls. Yes. Was, the, was it her doctor doing the procedures? Yes. So you flew up to New York. Their, their fertility clinic was actually near Washington, D.C. Her aunt works there. So that's the reason she wanted to go through them. And obviously the doctor would talk to her about it and say, we're going to do two. They both had to be on board with that. And they were. So we transferred again. Once again, our betas were insane. They were really high. The nurse said, you have reason to believe there's twins. It was deja vu all over again. Were you Um, trying to be cautious and and guarded in how you felt? Yes. So we have, for anyone who's interested, I did a YouTube channel on my entire journey of surrogacy. I actually just watched some of them back last night before we recorded this today so I could have a fresh memory. The video of me getting ready to go for that ultrasound the second time, you can just tell how nervous I was. We decided not to FaceTime live this time, my doctor friend. She went with me again and we all kind of collectively said, let's let's see what we got first and then FaceTime so we can all be a little more prepared. So we did and we had two heartbeats. I was too shocked to really let it sink in yet. I was just ecstatic that we even had a heart 
heartbeat. I was just thrilled for them. And, and we FaceTimed and they cried and it was a very happy occasion. But with IVF, the first ultrasound's at five weeks. So, I mean, th- that's like right when you can even start to see a heartbeat. So we were still very cautiously optimistic, but we were, everyone was thrilled. So at that point, she's your friend. You're her friend who's carrying her yeah. children. How does the relationship between a pregnant woman and the parent of the, the baby she's carrying work? Like who's encouraging whom? Who is? It's definitely a little bit of both. It's more her encouraging me, especially with how sick I am. So that's the one thing I failed to mention. My pregnancies with my own two children prior to that were a breeze, except for I was always sick in the first trimester. So I kind of knew what I was signing up for there. Twins was almost a different ballgame because double. I was really sick and that was one of the hardest things because here she is completely clueless to what goes into pregnancy and what can happen and what medications. And so with both of my kids, I had taken Zofran and it really helped me. And she was very paranoid. She didn't want me to take anything. She so had, how did those conversations go? I don't blame her because she's reading the internet and she's never been there. And my doctors are saying, we're prescribing you this. And she's saying, please don't take that. And I was very, very conflicted with that because I wanted to honor her and I wanted to do what she wanted for her babies. But I was miserable and I was trying to parent a four-year-old and a two-year-old and my doctors were saying, this is safe. We are prescribing you this. You need to take it. So that was something that was a very hard kind of barrier as much as I love her and still love her and she loves me. That's just going to be a sticky situation and subject for anyone because mm-hmm. no two people are going to agree on the way to handle a pregnancy. In all regards, I tried to honor what she wanted and I really only took it on the days that I could not function without it. I didn't take it religiously probably like I could have with my own. Was that spelled out in your contract in terms of medicines you could or would or what you would eat or not eat? It was and it was under the order of whatever the doctor said. So technically I was in you the right freedom, if you want to call right. it that um, because my contract allowed but I knew it wasn't what she wanted so it was definitely caused some internal conflict because right. I knew I was technically allowed but I knew she didn't want me to so that was hard. And how do those conversations go when you are so sick, but it's her child? Because I struggle with this even with Bradley between venting about a bad day Mm -hmm. and like really wanting to see that you know how much I suffered. Finding the balance between venting and just straight complaining. Mm -hmm. And it's different when the cause, for lack of a better word is these two little miracles you're carrying yeah. for her. So how did that work when you were walking through that tremendous season of sickness? I pride myself on being a patient person compared to my husband who has zero patience. It's one thing. I don't accept compliments well, and I don't toot my own horn at all, but I know that I'm a patient person. And I would just try to take a deep breath and picture myself in her shoes. What if this were me? What if I had never been through a pregnancy? What if I were trusting a virtual stranger with the lives of my future children? And I was terrified and I thought these drugs were going to hurt my babies or cause damage. I would all the time try to put myself in her shoes and and go to her feelings above my own and just think how scared I would be if that were me. And instead of getting angry with her or causing any animosity with her, that's where I would put myself instead and say, I, I can understand this because what if that were me? What about a regular day? What about a day where there's no medicine? Just the general, are you guys texting and calling and checking in on yes. the... 
I'm having round <clears throat> ligament pains, and now my hips hurt, and now I can't roll over, and so now I'm I, up hourly to, to pee. I would try not to include her on the everyday disturbances, on the everyday aches and pains, because she is a very sympathetic person and empathetic person where she feels my pain, and I wouldn't want her... To think that I'm just, oh my God, I'm Suffering. walking around miserable trying to take care of my kids and it's awful. Like, I, I wouldn't include her on that. If she said, how are you doing? And she's honestly asking me, I would say, you know, it's been a hard day. My, my hips really hurt. I would say those things and my husband got the brunt of that. <laughs> my husband got the brunt of that. And I have a whole YouTube video actually on this topic because I think it says like 26 weeks and some realness. Because the realness was... At church, at school, at anywhere I went, people that knew what I was doing would say, how are you feeling? And I felt awful. And I felt like I am 26 weeks pregnant and it feels like I'm 38. And it feels like I should be having these babies tomorrow and I have 12 weeks left. And that just seemed way too big of a mountain for me to conquer. Like it seemed like it wouldn't happen. But I knew in the grand scheme of things that 12 more weeks of my life, of carrying their lives would be over in the blink of an eye compared to the rest of their, the rest of their lives. So it was, it was hard. And I hated to ever feel like I felt like if I complained to anyone, they'd be like, well, you know what you're signing up for? You agreed to do twins. You, I know they weren't really saying that, but that in my head, even to complain to my husband, I felt like he could at any point be like, well, you signed up for this. So it was very tricky and hard for me because I felt like I was in a place where I couldn't complain that I didn't have the right to complain because I put myself in this position. But but if to I, be fair, we all do. Yes. We all do. Every time you wish and pray and hope for a baby and ask for the stretch marks and the cellulite and all that, if you just, please give me this baby, I'll do anything. I'll love it all. I'll never complain. And it is possible to be thankful and grateful and also really uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing I would go back to is feeling empathy for my friends with infertility and saying, I'm sitting here complaining that my hips hurt and she's over here crying and on her knees praying every night just to get pregnant. And that's something that was really hard for me, just even internally to feel like I was allowed to complain. For me as kind of a bystander, I remember, well, first of all, I remember learning about your pregnancy from your (laughs) two-year-old. At preschool and learning that it wasn't his baby. (laughs) Yes. Which thankfully I had already been brought up to speed to some degree. Mm -hmm. But if anyone in Greenville caught wind of that Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. getting the the, uh, rundown, I'm sure that made for some interesting conversations. Yeah, Matt used to joke he was going to get a t-shirt that said, yes, she's pregnant. No, they're not mine. And I was like, what? (laughs) You can't. You can't do that. You know how many people ask you questions when you're pregnant. The grocery store clerk, the pharmacist, and the the twins hold the phone. Is this your first? And I would have to make a decision right then. Am I going to tell them the story for five minutes, or am I just going to say yes? We're so excited. (laughs) If my kids weren't with me half the time, I said that. I I and they'd say girl or boy, and I would say we don't know. Like I literally (laughs) can't tell you how many times during that pregnancy that I lied to people. Because I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And one day I said, I'm going to tell the truth this time. And I said, Davis was with me and they said, is this your, are you getting a baby brother or sister? And I was like, no, actually I'm a surrogate. What? Like no one knows what to say to that. And then they're like, oh, well, is it a boy or a girl? It's both. It's, it's twins. It's a boy and a girl. I mean, people There's were just, so many follow-up questions. Oh my God, it's just, not a one minute conversation. Just dumbfounded. So once I decided to tell the truth that one time and it took 
20 minutes of the clerk's time. And it's not like you have all the energy in the world to dive into exactly. that. Exactly. So I, I lied so many times to strangers that I would just say, oh yeah, it's a boy. It's our second. Like, I don't know what all stories I told, but it's too much to try to explain to strangers at all. So to back up, you found out you're pregnant. You found out there were two heartbeats. Yeah. Things are going well, although you're sick. Mm-hmm. When did you find out they were a boy and a girl? Uh, we had like the genetic testing done at like the 10 or 11 week mark. They can do that through blood work now. So they did that and they said we had the option to find out if there was a boy. Because with twins, you can't obviously know what both are. But if there's any male DNA detected in my female DNA, then they know that there's at least one boy. So we got the results back that said there's at least one boy. And then she called the clinic to say, we know there's one boy. Can you please just tell us what the other embryo was? Because they knew, they they know what they transferred, but they do, they're do they not a clinic that tells you what they are because they don't believe in gender selection. So once they knew that we knew one was a boy, they confirmed that the other was a girl. So we found out probably around 11 or 12 weeks that one was one of each. That's amazing. We'll leave the first half of Brittany's story here. I hope you'll tune in next week to hear the rest. You won't want to miss it. That's it for today's But Not All at Once. Thanks so much for joining us, y'all. I hope you'll subscribe because we have a lot to talk about this season, and I don't want you to miss a single story. If you love what we're doing, would you consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? It would mean the world, like more than a porch drop of a large Chick-fil-A sweet tea with pellet ice. It's a big deal. Come join the conversation at But Not All at Once on Instagram or email me directly at But Not All at Once at gmail.com. As always, I'm Ann Smith, and I'll see you right here next week. Bye, guys.